You know, I grew up out in the country, out in Verona. I literally changed the way that I talked when I was in college because I was mocked out so bad. It was terrible. 50 Cent, Mama and Diddy, it was, it was not pretty. Saturday, yeah, terrible. One of the things you have out in the country, you have a lot of snakes out in the country. We had a huge black snake that lived in our barn. So when Dad would say, hey, Frederick, could you, because I didn't like Fred when I was younger. I've got used to it now. Hey, Frederick, could you, could you go get the shovel out of the barn? I was like, I don't think it's in there. <laughs> it didn't matter what he said. Could you go get the blank out of the barn? I don't think it's in there. Because I knew what was in there was a monstrosity that wanted to eat me. It's like the Jungle Book cartoon. I knew it was going to be dangling there as soon as I stepped in through the door. I'm t- I could get in and out of that barn and grab whatever I needed to get from my father in a nanosecond. I was like an Olympic sprinter. It lived in that barn. You know how we discovered it, that it was in there? And one day we were rummaging through, and we found this huge snakeskin. It was, it was massive, right? Something you would see on Animal Planet. A big, big snakeskin. And see, the reason why that's so disconcerting is because what you realize in that moment that you see that snakeskin is that the reason why that snakeskin is there, as big as it is, is because it's not big enough for the snake anymore. <laughs> you with me? So if you're in the crawl space of your house and you look over and you see a snakeskin that looks massive, what you should be saying is, oh my Lord, it's bigger than that now. And it may be right behind me. I'm sharing that with you because God wants you to outgrow your present spiritual reality. He wants you to outgrow your present spiritual reality. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've been a devoted follower of Christ, your spiritual skin should feel snug. And you should have an expectation and a conviction and a devotion that says to yourself and to God, I never want to stop growing. I want to break out of who I am and go farther. I want to go deeper and I want to get bigger. Now, those of us that were at the Shenandoah, come on, we, were, we woke up this morning at the base of the Shenandoah Mountains. It was gorgeous. We had an incredible time there together Friday afternoon and evening and, and, and most of today before we rushed back to be together here tonight. I'm telling you, some men, we, we left some spiritual skin at that place. And we want the same thing to happen for you. And that we trust and pray that tonight, that tonight, for some of you, you're going to grow a little bit bigger so that you can run a little bit farther. Amen? Amen. I want to share this one thing. I just had a sense earlier today as I was praying for the service tonight. Earplugs. These are must-have. Are these must-have on ladies' retreats as well, or is it just men's? Ladies? Ladies don't. They don't admit it, but they sneak them in because we know that you snore as well. We won't say how we know that, but we know that you do. And so, you know, these, these, are, these are essential for, for getaways because you do not know necessarily the person that's going to be in the room with you, what kind of noises they make in the night, right? So you just shovel these things on in down deep into your ear and you can sleep like a baby. I actually, I needed these on the ride home because when I was driving home, I, said, I told Clem that I wouldn't mention his name, but he was snoring in the back seat. And what's hilarious, is Clem in here? 
Where's, where, he's at, he was ushering. Oh, this is great because he's down and then we can really talk about him. So I hear, so Juice is back there too, right? So they're both sound asleep, stands in the front, you know, he's, come on, faithful stands, not falling asleep. He's keeping me awake. We're talking, we're talking, we're talking. And then they eventually wake up. And this is the conversation over here between, between Clem and, and granted, I think the windows are going to shatter on our trailblazer from Clem snoring. And this is what Clem says when he wakes up. He realizes Juice is awake. He says, you know, I, 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 I just don't sleep that well in the car. He's, do you remember that? Do you remember him saying that to you? He said, you know, it's a, it's a sleep where you feel a little bit rested, but you, you just, I, I just, I don't sleep good in the car. I'm thinking to myself, are you, who are you kidding? I'm looking for my earplugs just riding home with him. Hey, I'm sharing that with you because I felt like just praying for today, this is a, a word for somebody here, is that, you know, Jesus, when he walked upon this earth, a phrase that he said all the time was, if you have an ear, then hear. If you have an ear, hear. And he wasn't talking about the ears on the side of your head. He was talking about the ears deep in your heart. God created you with the capacity and the ability to hear his voice. And sometimes we, we end up walking through life and we don't like what God is saying to us because he's challenging us. And I believe that somebody is here tonight. You don't like what God has been speaking to you because he's trying to call you forward and out of some things that you're in that you know that you're not supposed to be involved in. And he's trying to call you forward into a new way of life. And you need to take out the earplugs that you've shoved in, the earplugs of your humanity, and let God speak to you. Come on tonight. Amen? I'm not going to give those away because I actually use those. So, but I am going to give away a couple of t-shirts. All right? Come on. If these don't fit you, then you can exchange them at the table. So the size that I give you, I'm not making any, you know, judgments about who you are, about your other skin. So, so we talked about fasting. So talk about growing in our spiritual life. We talked about fasting two weeks ago. Let me see some hands of some people, maybe a couple, the first couple I see. Some people after hearing that sermon that you fasted for the very first time. Oh, come on, I saw one way in the back. Was that Chad's hand that popped up? All right. What's that? Not first time, he said. All right, a man of honor. First time, all right, one for the, one for the family. You guys can decide who gets. Somebody over here that fasted for the first time. Kevin G., come on. Woohoo! Nice. No, we're giving it to you. We like you. We like you. If you already have one, then you can give it to someone. If you already have your t shirt, then you can pass that on. You can share the love. All right, this is our sermon tonight. We're wrapping up this series. This idea that our lives need to have flow. We should be life giving to the world that is around us. We've been in this series from the beginning of the summer. We've been tracking through it. We're going to finish tonight with Scripture. What a great capstone that's going to be for us in this series. It's also going to be the culmination of our men's getaway. They're going to overlap a little bit. But this is the big idea that we've been unpacking together and meditating on this summer. Our lives need to have flow. Our words, our attitudes, our reactions, our choices, our example, life-giving to everyone around us. And the 12 pathways make it possible rivers of living water out of us and into the world. And these are the 12 pathways that we talk about at this church again and again and again because they take 
us into the depths of eternal life. Scripture, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. Gathering accountability, worship, relationships, fasting, reaching, prayer, stewardship, service, generosity, and rest. If you've not been here for any of these, you can catch them on the podcast. And you can also download the notes from all the sermons on the documents download page on the website. And so we're excited tonight to dig into Scripture. Many of us think of these as life-giving to ourselves, and they most certainly are, but what we've been saying this summer is don't forget they are also rivers of living water that flow out of who we are into the world around us. And so we know that Scripture builds us up, but what we want to talk about tonight is how Scripture brings us to a place so that we can be life-giving to people around us. So Father, we say tonight, unplug our ears. We're taking out the earplugs of our humanity and we are going to cast them aside. We want to hear your voice. We want your word to sink deep into our hearts, not just for the life that it's going to bring to us, but how it's going to empower us to be life-giving to the world around us. And everybody said together, come on, in Jesus' name, amen. Luke eleven fifty two. 52. Jesus says, woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. And this phrase, this ancient term that is, was current then, but not so current now, this idea of experts in the law, it's not talking about attorneys, he's talking about the spiritual leaders of a community. So if we were to modernize this verse, what we would say today is, woe to you husbands. Woe to you fathers, woe to you mothers, woe to you parents, adults, community leaders, those of you who are in your families who God has put there, come on, to set the pace for the people around you to go far into the destinies that God has called them to give. And there is a place of leadership that every woman has in her home. But what we're going to focus on tonight is there is a unique place. There is a specific place of leadership that especially men are called to. That especially men are called to. And listen to this. This is what he says. Because you have taken away the key to knowledge. And then he explains what that means. You yourselves have not entered. And because you have not entered, you have hindered those who were entering. As men, if we're not leading, we're failing. Listen, men, if we're not leading, we're failing. If you're married, if you're a parent, those people should be able to look to us to be the spiritual pace setters of our homes. And this idea, well, at least I'm not telling them that they can't. Come on, that's not enough. Not restricting isn't the standard that we're giving. What Jesus says to us, come on, is woe to you if you're not setting the pace. Because we cannot lead where we are not going. We cannot lead our families to places where we're not going ourselves. I have the freedom to say, well, my wife is better at balancing the checkbook, so she does that. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You might say, you know what, my wife is a better shopper than I am. So she does the shopping. She picks out my clothes. You have the freedom to say that. You can say she's the better cook. And so thank God I can say that in my house. And so you with me? There are things that you can say to your wife. You're better at those things than me. You take the lead. 
Men, we do not have the freedom to look at our families and say, you know what, you're just more spiritual than I am. Why don't you take the lead for that for our family? I'm telling you, God cringes every time he hears that thought pass through the mind of a man. He has given us everything that we need to be the spiritual leaders of our homes. And if we are not the spiritual leaders of our homes, then I'm telling you, God wants to help you get there. And as a church, we'll help you do it. Listen to this verse here in Romans 8, 37. It says, now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we're talking about scripture tonight as being a, a means of being life-giving, but especially to men. We're kind of drilling down on that tonight, coming out of our getaway. So everything we talk about tonight, it's for you ladies. But I'm going to be talking specifically to men because I want men to hear a call and a challenge to rise up and be the spiritual leaders in our communities that God has created us to be. And so he has created you with the ability and the capacity to conquer your insecurities. He's created you with the ability and the capacity to conquer your inadequacies. He's created you with the ability and the capacity to stand up and say to your wife and to your children, I know that I've not done a good job of being a spiritual leader, but that's going to change. I know it's going to take time for me to get there, but I'm going to get there. I know it's what God asks of me. I know my church is going to help me do it. I know I'm a Romans 8, 37 man. I'm more than a conqueror. However much time you have left that God has given you until you breathe your last, men, let it be that the world would find in us an unrelenting determination to be the spiritual leaders of our world, to be the pace setters, to not be the ones that are following behind. So we're going to take a look at Psalm 1. If there's ever a text in the Bible that helps us to understand, men, how we can take our first step to being spiritual leaders, it's right here. And we're going to read this a little bit different of a way. All that shouting and laughing, right? And then shunning to a mountains. My voice is failing. It's going to make it though. It's going to make it. I'm going to read this in a different order than maybe what you've heard it before because a lot of Psalms, it's poetry. And sometimes it's placed in an order for its poetic value, but sometimes that can be a little bit obstructionary in our understanding. And so we have to make sure that we re-put it together in a different order sometimes to really grasp what's being said. So I'm going to pick up with verse 4 in Psalm 1. The ungodly are not so. But are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Chaff is always used as a metaphor in the Bible of things that are not eternally significant. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It just doesn't have eternal value. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. We're going to be talking about this next week. Just because you have breath doesn't mean that you're a child of God or we're not a child of God until we take our first spiritual breath. And we don't take our first spiritual breath until we're born again. And that doesn't happen until we make a vow of devotion to Christ. We're going to talk about the gospel next week. The radical call that we're given by Christ to follow him. Verse 6, it says, For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now let's jump down to verse 1. But blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now let's jump down to verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Back up to verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of the sinners. Verse 3. 
but he shall be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither. Back up to verse 1, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, and back down to verse 3, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Psalm 1 is not a list of some disconnected thoughts. It's really just a list of three things. It's really just a list of three things that are given to us in both the, the negative and then it's in turn given to us in the affirmative. And it's teaching us a life principle that we need to know, especially men, if we're going to be the spiritual leaders of our world. This is the bottom line of Psalm 1, the synopsis of it. Here are two choices. Ruin and instability in this life culminating into eternal suffering or divine favor and blessing in this life culminating into eternal bliss. And the road we take not only affects us, but the generations to come. So encounter the right counsel so that you can engage the right way and that you can embrace the right seat. The picture of this idea of counsel that's given to us in Psalm 1 is the idea of influence. It's the idea that you and I live in a world as all of mankind has from the beginning of time where we're inundated by influences. And those influences have an effect on us, which we're going to talk about tonight. And the, the primary way that those influences has an effect on us is it determines our way. So it goes from counsel and it goes to way. Influence brings about a lifestyle. And lifestyle or way brings about a seat, which is a metaphor, as we're going to see tonight, for an identity. The influences that you subject yourself to are going to dictate your lifestyle. And that lifestyle, if you live it long enough, is going to become the identity that you embrace. And the reason why this is an important concept for us as men to grasp and understand is because the identity that you ultimately embrace is going to determine the influence that you unleash in the world, into other people's lives around you. You with me? We have a responsibility as men to make sure that we're careful about the influences that we allow into our lives so we have a lifestyle that's God-honoring so that the identity that we ultimately embrace is that we are a son of the living God with a divine mandate to be a spiritual leader and then all of a sudden out of our lives becomes an influence that will affect our world for generations to come. One of the men told a powerful story at the getaway. This weekend for us, we opened the night with courage to confess. He was shared an honest story about how he lived a, a life of an adulterer for many years. He talks about how he was the son of adultery. He was born into this world out of adultery. And then he was talking about how that's the story of his family's past, but it's not the story of his family's future. Come on, you with me? You know why? Because he guards his heart against the influences that he lets in, which drives the lifestyle of the, the choices that he presently makes. And now he's got a new identity. He's no longer, his identity is not an adulterer. His identity is no longer, I'm the child of an adulterous relationship. His identity now is that I'm a forgiven man of God, a spiritual leader in my house. And he's un unleashing streams of influence, come on, into this world. And the same thing can happen for you. 
So let's talk about this idea of my counsel. We're going to look at each of these tonight and we're going to attach them to a person in Scripture that helps us understand this principle that's laid out to us so that we can become the spiritual leaders of our homes and of our world. The first person we want to look at is Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, it says this, Then he said, this is God speaking to Moses, Do not draw near this place. Don't come any closer, God says. Take off your sandals... Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Now many of you are familiar with the story. Moses, at the age of 40, he had a sense of destiny, he had a sense that he was supposed to be a leader, but he had been under the influence, come on, of an ungodly world for 40 years. God had him there to prepare him for lots of things, but what we see began to happen is that Moses began to give himself to that influence instead of the influence of God, and so he rose up and tried to set the Israelites free of his own doing. He ends up killing someone. He has to go into exile, and he lives in exile for 40 years, so he's 80 years old. He's out tending some sheep. He sees a bush that's burning. He goes up, not because he saw a bush that was burning, because that was commonplace in that geographic area, but it caught his attention because it was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. Come on. And he goes up there, and God says, hey, do not come any closer. And begin to talk to Moses, and one of the things that he said to him is, Moses, I want you to take off your shoes. Now, why did he ask him to do that? Why did, he, why did he say to all the things that he could have said to Moses? He says, Moses, take your shoes off. Come on, that's an important part for us because what we know in looking at this is that God wanted Moses to experience the reality of his humanity. So many of the physical things that God asks us to do, it's because he's trying to teach us something about our immaterial self. There's an eternal part of who we are. We talked about that a lot when we talked about our sermon on fasting. One of the reasons why we fast is because God wants us to appreciate and understand that, that there is a deeper part of who we are that gets hungry when we neglect it. So he asks us to experience physical hunger to remind us of the spiritual hunger that is deep inside. And so here's Moses. He's standing before the burning bush, and God says, I want Moses to feel with his body the condition of his soul. And so he says, take off your shoes. Because he wants Moses to understand you have given yourself to ungodly influences for so many years, I now want to be the dominant influence in your life. In Psalm 1, there is also a progression of the metaphors on the back end of verse 1. It starts with ungodly, and then it goes to sinner, and then it wraps up with scornful. And we're going to explain what each of those mean. But this idea of ungodly, because it's paired with counsel, is telling us that there are influences that we subject ourselves in this world to that have a negative effect on our lives. So let's, let's do a little participation moment because we like participation at the City Life Church. Church is not a spectator sport. You with me? Okay, come on. All right, so guys and girls, not just, not just the guys. We're talking to guys a lot tonight, but guys and ladies tonight. What are some influences in your life, good or bad, but influences, things that, that you're exposed to that have an effect? Jen, media. What'd you say? Coffee, and praise the Lord for it. I took my little Starbucks double shots with me on the retreat. Those are my traveling companions, right, because I cannot travel with my espresso machine because my wife makes me leave that at home for her. So I popped one of those little babies about 2 o'clock coming home. I was like, sweet Jesus. 
The influence of caffeine. Music and radio, yes, because media is a big word. Amanda, friends, friends, lots of friends. Somebody else, influences. Come on, there's lots of influences. Family, over here, Dustin. Workplace, Alan. Facebook, no doubt, social media, come on. School, teachers, come on, yeah, somebody else. Inf Kevin, government. My church. Ah, that's a great answer. Your church. Who said that? Somebody else. Influence that you subject yourself to. Jesus, come on. Amen. You think about you're walking around in this world from the moment you wake up, come on, to the moment you lay yourself to sleep, you are bombarded with influence all the days of your life. And this lesson that God wants us to see that he was teaching Moses is that you can get a soul for your shoe, but you cannot get a shoe for your soul. You cannot live in this world as the helm's deep, impregnable fortress of humanity. It is impossible. You are impressionable. I like to do that when I'm trying to make a point. You are impressionable. Now you're a little skittish. <laughs> yeah, that's better than a double shot, isn't it? God is saying to Moses, you are vulnerable. And he does not want to change that in us because we need to be vulnerable to him. And if he makes us so that we're not impressionable, then we're not impressionable to him. So what he says to us is, understand how vulnerable that you are, and then you get to choose the kind of influences that you subject yourself to. So your heart will always be tender to me, and then you say, I'm not going to give myself to these voices anymore. And for men, especially this is difficult for us because we do not like to admit our impressionability. As men, we like to think that we are not vulnerable. It's a very difficult thing for us as men to admit that we're vulnerable. And so God here is saying to Moses, Moses, if you were going to be the spiritual leader that I've called you to be, you have once and for all have got to admit the vulnerability of the eternal part of who you are. So take off your stinking shoes and Feel with your body what you are in your soul. You're impressionable. You are impressionable. Our lives don't reflect the holiness on the ground on which we stand until we allow God's influence to stand on us. God doesn't call us to holy ground because he wants to show off. He calls us to holy ground because he wants us to be holy. And the way that we become holy is that we let his influence and influences that are godly be the dominant influences that we expose ourselves to. You cannot change your vulnerability, but you can change the atmosphere and the environments that you put yourself into for the voices that are going to be speaking into your life. Listen to this verse in Job. It's 20, verses 12 through 13. It says, they enjoyed the sweet taste of wickedness. Letting it melt under their tongue, they savored it, holding it long in their mouths. It's a powerful picture, isn't it? Because the picture is that a person, it's 
eating something that they know they're not supposed to eat. So they say, well, I'm just going to hoard it in my mouth, but I'm not going to swallow it. I know, I, know, I know, God, I need to spit it out, but just give me a few more seconds, I promise. Men do that with the Internet. Men do that with conversations. Men can do it with television shows that they watch, even commercials that they keep watching, even though they know they should change the channel. Or, or no, or, or not, I'm just going to hold it in my mouth. I'm not going to do it. Looking and watching people around us, not guarding our gaze, we talk about as men. Come on, there's a list for women too, but I'm talking about men tonight. We hold it under our tongue. And if you keep reading in this verse, it's a powerful teaching. Job isn't just a story of suffering, it's about a story of life. And it says that even in just holding it in their mouths, the food that is in their stomach becomes the venoms of cobras to them. What does that mean? It means that even if you just continually put yourself in an environment where you're subjecting yourself to ungodly counsel, ungodly influence, it will cause you, even if you think that you're not being affected by it, it will cause the good influences in your life to begin to sour. It will cause you to not want to listen to godly influence anymore. It will cause you, come on, to want to put your God earplugs back into the ears of your heart. It's going to cause you to want to isolate. It's going to cause you to want to withdraw. You cannot subject yourself in moments visually, auditory, thinking, fantasizing, and say to yourself, it doesn't affect me, come on. God's Word says it does, and we have got to submit ourselves to the truth of Scripture. My way. Let's talk about our way. Well, let me, let me come back to this. The influence Facebook. Because Alan brought up social media. What, what if? What if? We could, just, let's, we could just pull it up with the media department right now. What if you had a Facebook that was postings of all the influences that you subjected yourself to over the last 30 days that you knew weren't good men? Everything that you looked at online... Every thought that you dwelled on, every gaze that you didn't guard you with me. What if every single one of those was a posting on a Facebook page that we could see? Would you want it up here on the screen? You with me? There should be something in us that says just because it's not public doesn't mean that it's not damaging to me. Even if you keep it private, it will affect your life, as we're going to see, because it begins to determine your lifestyle. You're impressionable. You're shoeless. My way. Let's talk about the way that we engage that's born out of the influences that we subject ourselves to. The Apostle Paul in Acts 9, 1 through 2, it says, Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, because the term Christianity had not come yet, that didn't come until the city of Antioch. It was birthed there, interestingly enough, which was the city of the beginning of Saul's ministry after he had a conversion to Christ and became the Apostle Paul. But this story in Acts 9 is the same man that gave us the vast majority of the New Testament. Either men or women, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And this was when Paul, or Saul then, was probably in his early 20s. It would be another decade, another decade before he would begin his missionary journeys. And what we find here is a man who is saying to the other spiritual leaders of his sect, 
We cannot sit idly by and do nothing because the principle and the truth of Psalm 1 is at play here. What we're going to see as we work through this point, this idea of sinner, the idea of counsel, which is of the ungodly, which is an influence. And then it switches. It doesn't say ungodly in Psalm 1 anymore. It switches over to sinner, and, and that has the connotation of action. Ungodly has the connotation of belief, and sinner has the connotation of action. What you believe, in turn, will dictate and drive what you do. What you believe to be true will dictate and drive the things that you don't do and the things that you do. And here, because if the influence is ungodly, it's going to produce a lifestyle of sin, which simply means a lifestyle that's displeasing to God, that you're not doing the things that you should and you're doing the things that you should not. So the Apostle Paul, we know that one of the reasons why he's stepping up here in the book of Acts and is trying to persecute the early church is because he understood Psalm 1. There was no New Testament at this point in history. And we know because Saul was a Pharisee that he had reached one of the highest ranks of education in Judaism that he would have memorized, listen, memorized word for word the entire Old Testament. Genesis to Malachi, verbatim. He knew it. He had given his life to the study of it. And he knew this principle that we're talking about today. He believed that he was standing on what was right. And he was saying to the religious leaders of his day, if we do not intervene and allow these people of the way to continue to have an influence in our city, people's lifestyles will begin to turn against us. He understood the principle at work. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 through 34, which he wrote after he had made a vow of devotion to Christ, simply says this, bad company corrupts good character. He wrote it right down in the letter that he sent to the church of Corinth. Bad company corrupts good character. What's he saying? Psalm 1 is true. No matter how impervious you think that you are to the influence, if you subject yourself to it time and time again, it will eventually affect the lifestyle that you live. And so we get to Acts 7, verse 58, and this is the story where he's still Saul. So we're moving back in time here, and Stephen is being stoned to death. And in the story, it says that the robes of the witnesses were laid at the feet of Paul. Now this is important for us that we understand how a stoning happened. In order for someone to be stoned, which means that they were killed with rocks, sometimes they were thrown over a cliff and large stones were thrown down on them, and sometimes it just happened like in a public square. But if it happened in a public square like Stevens did, somebody was responsible. Historic, this is history. We know it to be true. Come on. Somebody had to knock them down and render them helpless so that they couldn't run. And it was the responsibility of the witnesses to do that. It was the responsibilities of the people who were going to say, I'm standing as a witness for the crime. I know that they're guilty of it. Those witnesses had to go and render that person helpless, knock them down so that they could be stoned to death. So when it says that they laid their robes at the feet of Paul, the witnesses, that's a detail that's being given to us, that they were following the ritual of stoning, that they were preparing themselves to go out and confront Stephen so that he wouldn't run. Now, we know Stephen didn't have any plans on running. Come on, because he was a man of courage. But that detail is not just given to us for us to understand the history of what happened. We're given the history of what happened so that there's a spiritual truth that we can learn from it. And this idea of a robe throughout the New Testament is always used as a metaphor and a picture 
of the influence and the life that we subject ourselves to. When it talks about Christ as the robe of righteousness, as something that's laid upon us, it's our way of saying that we're going to give ourselves to the righteousness of Christ. It's going to be the dominant influence of our life. And those robes are laid at Saul's feet in this moment of stoning Stephen in the context of what's happening in the history of the church to say to us that those robes that they laid at Saul's feet were the robes of an ungodly influence that were driving them to a lifestyle that saddened God. And you and I have to ask ourselves the question, if we were to take off the layers of the robes of influences that we've been subjecting ourselves to throughout our lives, what kind of lifestyle has it been driving us towards? If you want to change the way that you're living, change the influences that you're giving yourself to. If you want to change the way that you're living, change the influences that you're subjecting yourself to. There is much in the journey of transformation that only God can do, but there are some things that God says, I'm looking for you to do it, and he's looking for us to engage our will. Every way of our lives traces itself back to counsel we have allowed to influence ourselves, determining our lifestyle. Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, 6. Pay attention to the language. The woman was what? She was convinced she subjected herself to an ungodly influence. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. This is the tree that God said you can't eat from it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she wanted, come on, she subjected herself to an influence. It created a desire in her heart which led to an action. It led to a lifestyle moment. There was a counsel which led to a way. She took some of the fruit and ate it. And then listen to what it says. Come on, man, here we go. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Adam was there because he was supposed to be someone that was going to stand up. Already in the beginning of time, we have a man who's letting his wife be the pace setter of the house. And when that's happening, come on, there's always trouble around the corner. We have a responsibility to be gatekeepers, come on, of not just our hearts, men, but of our homes, of our homes, because the influence that we give ourselves to is going to dictate our lifestyle, which is going to define our identity, and that's going to determine the influence that we bring to the house where we live. All right, number three. Number three, let's talk about the seat, this idea of a seat that's given to us here at the end of Psalm 1. So scornful, let's talk about that. So there's a progression. It starts with counsel of the ungodly. Ungodly, it's this idea of influence, it's a way of thinking, which leads to a way, which is the idea of lifestyle, it's action, it's decisions that we begin to make in light of the influence that we subject ourselves to. And then it ends up, it says, the seed of the scornful. This idea of scornful, or in some translations it says mocker, means that someone who has utterly rejected God. It means someone who says, you know what God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. It starts out like this. I'm not sure I really believe the Bible. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really sure I, I'm not sure I believe that God has my best interests at heart. It starts out with a way of thinking that's born out of an influence. And then that begins to drive certain actions. And eventually if we live in that place, if we live in that place under the influence of that ungodly voice in our lives that comes through all those things that we just talked about, at some point we take a stand. At some point we find a seat and we sit down and say, this is who I am. I'm not a God follower. 
I'm not a Christ believer. I'm not recommending to you to become an isolationist. I'm not saying that. We're not launching the City Life Church commune on Monday. We're not saying that. What we are saying is that you should not step into places that have the potential to influence you until you know that you can be the greater influence in the moment. You with me? I'm not saying that you withdraw from every friend that you have who's not a follower of Christ. I'm not saying that you throw your televisions out the window. I'm not saying that you burn all your, your CDs, come on, in a barrel in the backyard, unless God's telling you to do that because you're so entwined with those influences that has determined your lifestyle. Are you with me? It's different for every person. What I am saying, though, that you've got to acknowledge that, that you're vulnerable and you've got to make a decision about what you've allowed into your life and the fruit that it's bearing and who you are. And you cannot give yourself to influences until you're ready to be the one that's the greater influencer in turn. And so this whole story wraps up for us in the life of Judas. It's powerful. John 18, 4 through 5. It says, Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen, these are the last moments of Jesus' life, his last weekend, it says, went out and said to them, who is it that you're looking for? All the people have come to arrest him. Jesus the Nazarene, they answered. And it says, Jesus says, I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, come on, which is a lifestyle moment. It's an action. He's stepping into the place of the sinner. We don't have time tonight, but if you study the Gospels, you find that Judas has been giving himself to ungodly influence. It led to a lifestyle moment. It started with counsel. It ended up in a way, and listen, come on, the details of Scripture are given to us for a reason. Listen to what it says. He betrayed him and was also standing with them. You tracking? It's Psalm 1 and John 18. Judas made a decision to step into a place of sin. He did something that he knew was wrong, and then that lifestyle that he had been giving himself to, he was stealing, he was deceptive. We were given this commentary of Judas's life, and how does it end for Judas? Ultimately, we see Judas sitting in the seat of the scornful, and there he is standing opposite of his Savior. The one he's been giving his allegiance to for three years. Judas needed to heed the lesson of Moses and realize the vulnerability of his humanity. He acted and it became who he is. The other part of Psalm 1 that's so powerful us is the contrary. We've focused on that first part of verse 1. But it's interesting, isn't it, that it says, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, and then the affirmative that's given in the opposite, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it doth he meditate both day and night. Choose your influence as well. And it goes on to say, we'll keep that first part phrase going, blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of the sinner, meaning that now I'm beginning to live this life, but he will be like a tree, come on, that's planted by rivers of water, planted by rivers of water, bearing fruit in season and its leaves will not wither, which is a powerful picture. It's saying that this tree that's supposed to respond to its environment no longer responds to its circumstances, it responds to its creator. That you can change the way that you live 
by making your creator the most dominant influence of your life. And then it wraps up by saying, And blessed is the man who sitteth not in the seat of the scornful. And then you take it all the way down to the last part of verse 3. But whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. His life has flow. The Apostle Paul, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I've got one more verse that I'm going to give you, and then we want to worship in a song together. If you're sitting here tonight, you're saying, wow, that's a lot to take in. We can appreciate that. If you're walking in here tonight and you're thinking, wow, I mean, my whole life is just a laundry list of influences that I know aren't godly. And when I look at the lifestyle that I'm living, wow, I know that I'm so far from who I'm supposed to be. The identity that I've taken on, I know is not the identity that Christ wants me to have. Don't leave here feeling overwhelmed. Leave here feeling empowered. The acknowledgement of the condition of your situation is an important part of your journey forward. But if you just stay there, come on, then that's the influence of the enemy trying to get you to be stuck. The influence that we want you to be left with is Romans 8.37. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God has given you everything that you need to have a different identity and to embrace the identity that he has for you. Listen to this verse. It's powerful. Come on, we've been building up to this the whole night. John 13, 9 through 10. It's the Last Supper. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything else except his feet. But he is completely clean. You were clean, but not all of you referencing Judas. It's powerful, isn't it? I'm telling you that every one of those Jewish men in that room knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about Psalm 1. He was saying to the men in that room, if you just would be willing to take off your shoes, stand with me. If you just be willing to be a man who's willing to acknowledge the vulnerability of your humanity. If you would just be willing to learn the lesson of Moses. If you would just be willing to understand that you cannot continue to subject yourself to ungodly influence and expect that it's not going to have an impact like our friend Judas did. If you're willing to take off your shoes spiritually and say to me, I want you, Father, to be the dominant influencer of my will. Jesus was saying to those men, you will change, you will transform beyond comprehension. The transformation of your lifestyle that will be brought about if you stop the ungodly influence and unleash the influence of my voice in your life, people won't even recognize who you are. You're going to outgrow your spiritual skin. And that you will take on an identity that was born for you in the beginning of time. A child of the living God with an eternal destiny. Let's worship together. The enemy has been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. Gonna lift up 